0: Hey, coming up in this episode, we hear from Christy Johnson. She has a documentary on Amazon Prime called No Crime in Sin. It's a little triggery. It's about uh, child abuse, although there are no details involved. Yeah. But if that's a sensitive issue for you, please be advised. Mm -hmm. But we think it's a fantastic episode. And everybody should listen to it. Everybody mm-hmm. should watch the documentary. Absolutely. This was such a great interview. And it's coming up. All right, let's do it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Latter day Lesbian, mm-hmm. the podcast about an ex Mormon gay girl, meaning Shelly. Me. Just trying to figure out her life. Mm-hmm. When I get it figured out, we're going to have to change that tagline. You do know that, right? Does that mean the uh, podcast is over at that point? It's done. Okay.
1: That was weird. <laughs> Which but oh, it probably
0: never happens. So. Well, gosh, I hate to think of the whole thing being over, so maybe just stay fucked up. That's the plan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> never change. Never. Just Never kidding. change. So we have a great interview today coming I up. We do. I'm yep. really excited to get her on.
1: Yeah. But before we do that, I just, I have to let the listeners know that um, we had to get some stuff cleared up with Sister Fanny fact check.
0: You know, Shelly, sometimes you just fuck things
1: right well, up. Well, <laughs> I did as I was. At- mm-hmm, true. Well, in my defense, you actually asked her a specific question. But um, this whole brother of Jared thing and the Jaredites—it's so like weird and wishy-washy, anyway. So basically, Sister Fanny fact gave us a call and just set us straight on everything, and so I think we need to
0: give her... Well, we were wondering if there were windows on the Mm -hmm. barges Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. Jaredites. Yeah. Yeah, so we just need to clear that up. So she shed some light on this whole discussion, so I guess without further ado... Well, you know what? We need to throw to a man... First. Wait, were you gonna try to introduce <laughs> our next speaker? Because you yeah, can't. You no. have to let a man okay. do it. Alright, I've been corrected. Mm-hmm. We are going to let Brother Ben mm-hmm. introduce Fanny. Thank Fact you, Check. Brother Ben. <laughs> mm-hmm. Here we go.
1: And now we turn the time over to Sister Fanny
2: Factcheck. Brother Ben, thank you for attending and providing your authority and supervision because women meeting together alone without men causes lesbians. The Book of Mormon people known as the Jaredites are supposed to have come from a time around the Tower of Babel in the Bible, except for the Tower of Babel isn't in the Bible, just like hell is not in the Bible, and Satan as the devil is not in the Bible, and shrugs are not in the Bible, but we pretend that they are. The story of human efforts to build a great tower to their own glory rather than the glory of God has been dated to around 2200 BCE, unless you count the church office building in Salt Lake City. Since the Jaredite boats were made within a generation of the tower, we can assume that they did not have windows, since Microsoft only patented windows in 1985. So the Jaredites had to use difficult, ancient MS-DOS with floppy disks this is how we know the book of mormon is true the brother of jared could not put windows in the barges and there is no way on earth that joseph smith could have known about that unless he was a prophet of the lord
0: you know, it's weird. I had no idea Bill Gates had anything to do with uh, the,
1: the
2: Jaredites. <laughs> no, weird. I didn't know that either.
0: Um, but we <laughs> yeah. trust Sister Fanny. So, oh, yeah. No, yeah. she would not steer us wrong. Mm-hmm. No, never. Yeah, love love the sister. Mm-hmm. Thank you again, Sister Fanny. Fact check. <laughs> Just Hope to hear from you again soon. The tongue. <laughs> Before uh, we move on to Christy, mm-hmm. do you want to do a foom pod, Shelley? I do, and I'll tell you why. Okay. I was
1: going through my oldest son's room the other day looking for... That's not creepy at all. No, what was I looking for? I don't know, car keys? I don't remember. <laughs> well, I did find the weed and I found the shrooms, but that's besides the point. I don't care. He's, he's free to choose. <laughs> he's he's an a adult. nice kid. He's an adult. I like that. I actually like that kid a lot. He's a good one. Just that one? I like them all, but he, <laughs> he is older and so there's humor that can be shared mm-hmm. and, you know, I don't know. He's
0: not just like, stop. Right. To his siblings. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Who didn't really do anything, but it's, you know, the feeling that someone's maybe on your side of the car seat. Yeah, even though there's only two of you in the entire middle yeah, world you and you still like, want to bitch about uh-huh. it. He's
1: looking out my window. Uh-huh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone close your eyes for the rest of the drive home. Don't yeah. make me
0: come back there. Yeah. Or yeah. turn this car around. Maybe, or whatever all the, the things that parents all things. say. Things. I don't know. I the don't, don't have slam that experience. the brakes and make you oh, your face in the back Okay. Of the, wait, what? I mean, no. Not that no. that would never happen. <laughs> okay. So the Foom Pod. The
1: Foom Pod. And for those of you who are just joining us, because we've had someone write on our Latter-day Lesbian Facebook wall Someone please tell me what is a (laughs) Foompod. What, did he not listen to the episodes? Uh, Clearly, you need to start from one. I I keep saying this. Start from (laughs)
0: episode one. To be fair, maybe uh, this person did listen to episode one and there's no Foompod mentioned. Then why would they hmm. skip to a Foompod episode? (laughs) I don't know. It goes one. Who knows how people listen to podcasts, Shelly. You know, you're forgetting something very important Hmm. that we start off all the Foompods with. Your favorite expression your very favorite expression, to say on this podcast. Cue music! It's the fucked up Mormon phrase of the day.
1: Okay, Mary, today's Foom pod, or for those of you who refuse to listen from the beginning, fucked up Mormon phrase of the day is dance card. Dance card? Dance card. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is something that I found in my son's room next to the marijuana. Like an actual dance card? It's a dance card. Like a real dance card. It's on yellow paper. It's been folded into a thousand pieces because, you know, he's a well, kid. Well,
0: you know, this is a really old-fashioned idea. You know how people would say, my dance card's filled. You know, they would go to dances back in the day, like my mother's age. She would go well, to a dance What's your card defini- definition of a dance and card? And boys would ask the girls out and you'd fill it fill up your dance card. So I'm thinking this is like some throwback to some stupid old-fashioned ritual that Mormons won't let go of and they have dances and young people go to these dances that are chaperoned certainly and have have dances in Mormon churches or so, something. So so the card is for like what does it mean to have your dance card filled? like everyone signed up like oh i have no more room on my dan-. like like who signs it what what, what i, I don't, don't know maybe there's slots where like when you dance with certain girls they sign it or what do you mean I'd, i don't have never seen a dance card so. Well, what would it mean if someone's like, my dance card's filled like with the low no voice? Like, there's no more. That's what you say to a boy you don't want to dance with. <laughs> my dance card is filled? Yes. Yeah, so, Meaning it's all the boys up. sign up to dance with me? I guess. Yeah. Oh so, there's no more room on the dance card because no, every dance no. is spoken for. Buzzer, please.
1: <laughs> Fine. What is a Mormon
0: style no, dance card? No, no. First, card? I want to hear the buzzer.
1: <phone rings> Thank you. Uh, so, a Mormon dance card is actually not anything that any young women get to sign. This is where you desire to go to Mormon youth dances, but you can't until you go and talk to your bishop. And the bishop will interview you and make sure that you're worthy to go to the dance. And then you have this card that has your name on it, what ward you're in, what stake you're in, when you were born, and the authorized signature of your bishop.
0: Oh, so it's kind of like a temple recommend, yeah, but to in go to a, a dance. But this, but this is better because it it
1: reminds you of the standards for these Mormon dances. Oh, okay, sure. Um, <laughs> one of these questions in the bottom right corner of it says, "Ask yourself: Would I feel comfortable with my appearance if I were in the Lord's presence? Because the Lord's like, going like, well, to no, the dance. I'm not wearing a fucking robe and sandals. Like <laughs> that would be what would make the Lord feel comfortable." Sure, so um here we go. dance standards. can I read to you some of these standards?: Sure, do it. <clears throat> dancing can be fun mm, mm-hmm. and can provide an opportunity to meet new people when dancing. Avoid full body contact with your partner. Do not use <laughs> positions or moves that are suggestive or sexual oh. or violent Ooh. behavior or otherwise inappropriate. So no like freaking <laughs> and like booty slapping. Uh-huh sounds boring as shit. Yeah. okay. Attend only those dances where dress, grooming, lighting, lyrics, music, and entertainment contribute to a wholesome atmosphere where the spirit <laughs> may be present. It sounds really fun. Oh, God. I know. Like, what are you going to go dance to, like, Botab no or, like, Josh Grobin? Come on. <laughs> I want to go and have it be like, I like big butts and, and I cannot lie. lie. I don't think they're allowed to play that song. No
0: Levi Lovin'.
1: No. No. Nope. Okay, next one. Standards for church activities. When you are well-groomed—by the way, I fucking hate the term well-groomed. Is it like what? I cleaned my fingernails? What does that even mean? I don't Be well-groomed. Know. When you are well-groomed and modestly dressed, you invite Jeez. the companionship of the Spirit. Oh! And you can be a good influence <laughs> on others. Your dress and grooming influences the way you and others act. Jesus was my date. For this dance, <laughs> oh God. Well, ask yourself: Would I feel comfortable with my appearance if I were in the Lord's presence? That's that's actually in larger font. You can see it's in larger font. Here. I'm showing Mary the larger font. Wow! Okay. There's more. Immodest clothing is any clothing that is tight. Mm-hmm. Sheer or revealing in any other manner. Young women should avoid short shorts and short skirts, shirts that do not cover the stomach and clothing that does not cover the shoulders or is low cut in the front or the back. Oh, dear. Young men should also maintain modesty in their appearance.
0: Okay, what do they have to wear? Like the shirt thing. and a pair it's of jeans. It's always picking on the
1: ladies. You know what? It's like back in the eighties, boys would wear those cut off shirts. You know, like with the football numbers on them and shit. Uh huh. Anyway, young men and young women should be neat and clean and avoid extreme or inappropriately casual clothing, mm. hairstyle, and behavior. Like, wow, don't, that's don't all have... written
0: on this weird card? Yeah. That's nuts. Well, there's more. There's a whole backside. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't mention backsides. No, no. Mm-mm. Don't touch the backside when you're dancing. <laughs> I like big backside.
1: Right. and I cannot. Okay. okay. Dress standards. Here's for casual dress for the young women. Nice slacks, denims, capris. Denims? <laughs>
0: Is it a thing? Denims? <laughs> Fucking
1: Mormons. Can you sound <laughs> any more dorky? Uh, capris or knee length shorts. Nice blouse. There's that blouse uh-huh. word that I
0: love. So capris and knee length shorts are allowed. Yeah, but when they no say booty knee shorts. length, that's like knee fucking length. <laughs> I know of
1: people who have brought a friend to a church dance with them. It's kind of iffy if the shorts are long enough and uh-huh. they have the girl kneel down. And if the short uh-uh. doesn't come to the knee, they ask them to go home and change. True oh story. My
0: God. Let's shame them. I can guarantee you boys do not get shamed like that. Mm-mm. Well, are they allowed in without knee? if they have shorter-than-knee-length shorts? Well, the, boys the boy- don't wear
1: that. Yeah, okay. Uh, there's more.
0: Nice blouse, the word that I hate.
1: Shirt <laughs> or top. Must cover shoulders, stomach, and back. No tight, sheer, or revealing clothing. This is for the casual dress dances, which there's like one every blue moon. Okay, young men. Nice slacks, denims. There's that word again. Or <laughs> knee-length shorts. Nice shirt. No earrings, no makeup, no hats. Not for the boys, though. Why can't can a, a boy wear, makeup? Make, wear fucking guyliner? Who cares?
0: Guy liner. <laughs> it's so stupid. That's, I mean, th- that is clearly not written for the boys, that part. No, no, no. The no makeup is for the boys. What? Yeah, we're talking about the young men now. Oh, they're not allowed to make- wear makeup? Right. That's written down? Yes. Because boys wear makeup? There's eyeliner. Hmm. <laughs> 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 I think
1: it looks hot on men. What
0: about piercings? Are those no, mentioned?
1: No, no earrings. Are you kidding me? Okay, <laughs> here goes the best dress. Here's your Sunday best. I love this. Ready?
0: This is yep. still for dances.
1: Yes. This okay. is for the women for dances, the young oh. women. Dress or skirt must touch the knees. Mm. Leggings do not
0: lengthen the skirt. Oh, in case they want to wear leggings underneath the skirt. Yeah. But the skirt still has to go to the knees. <laughs> Do they get like a ruler out or I something?
1: I think they make you kneel down and make sure it hits the <laughs> knees. It's so stupid. Nice blouse. There's that damn word again. Shirt or top. Must cover the shoulders, stomach, and neck. Good God. That's so like an entire fucking paragraph the young women. Here's the young men. Dress pants.
0: Dress shirt and tie. Oh, so they got to wear a shirt and tie to a dance. hmm Okay. But you could still wear shorts if you're a girl. Uh, it's confusing. No. With a girl, you can wear a skirt, but it has to be to your knees. I thought you had to wear capris or shorts to the knees. Just <sighs> That's casual amazing. dress. You oh. would make the worst fucking Mormon. It's all <laughs> written right here on your dance card. Are there two types of dances, more formal and more casual? Oh yes, casual dress. I listed okay. <laughs> those and then best dress slash Sunday best. I guess I tuned out because it's really Mormony and boring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no wonder... Raise your hand <laughs> if you feel like you are a sexually repressed ex-Mormon.
1: Uh, yeah, everyone's raising.
0: <laughs> everyone's raising their hand right uh-huh, now. Uh
1: huh. Remember oh, how
0: we were talking about um, what age you under- you know about masturbation? <laughs> yes. Because, <laughs> you know, I was raised super religious. Oh, I didn't too. know what it was until I was a grown-up. Right. I, I didn't do it until I was like grown, grown-up, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, in yeah. my 40s. Because it was taboo, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we have a really good friend. Heather Vickery. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Heather again. We're going to have her on very soon, by the way. Mm -hmm. She was laughing at us about not knowing anything about masturbation as kids Mm -hmm. and how saying that, you know what, it's super normal as a young kid to touch yourself. Super normal to do that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either because it wasn't normal in my household growing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you know, when you're raised in these religiously oppressive environments, then your definition of normal, especially in terms of sex, is going to mm-hmm. be really different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were sexually repressed. Oh, in for our, sure. In our house, hundred percent for sure. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I digress. It's okay. We're moving on to the
1: 2000. Let's see. That's right where the fold is. I think this is 2015 dance schedule.
0: Okay. <laughs> Has it changed much?
1: No. This was just like the theme. So I don't know. I'm just, I haven't actually read these. There's a Disney theme. Uh, A country western theme, a tie-dye neon theme, Cinco de Mayo theme. Without margaritas. Right. Mormon prom, which, by the way, Mormon prom, they (laughs) they throw so much fucking money at it. (laughs) Really? Yeah, because they don't want the Mormon kids to go to regular prom because apparently it's just all parties. Mm, Okay. Then there's a USA theme. There is a 50s dance theme. There's mathletes and athletes theme. Oh, God. There's the Halloween dance, a Christmas dance, and the New Year's Eve dance, which is Sunday dress.
0: How many dances are there in a year? Um, 10 or something? A couple a month,
1: it looks like, if I'm looking at it right.
0: Wow. Did you go to this many dances when
1: you were growing up? Um, when I was growing up, there was one a month where I lived because there wasn't a ton of Mormons.
0: Wow. And is this a way to just, you know, keep young people sort of in this supervised, sanctioned environment? I enjoyed going to the dances only because I really
1: enjoyed dancing, but you know, compared to other dances that other places would throw, they were just very, very lame. Mm-hmm. The music was so, uh, like, they couldn't have any kind of swears, not even damn in it. I mean, it was just—and okay. I really do think that the DJs still use the same mix. Like, I would get so sick and tired of hearing—what's that Tin Roof song? Love Shack.
0: Oh, yeah. No offense to the b fifty two. No, none. Yeah. none at all.
1: Anyway, they were just kind of lame. Okay, huh. the last thing, conduct. Treat others with Respect. No profanity, alcohol, tobacco, or drugs. No full body contact with partners. Oh, that's no fun. Know. And no suggestive positions or moves. Huh. Mm-hmm. There you go. So that's your dance card. And uh, Mike, I'm kind of laughing at this because my kid has his name on it and his signature, and it's just all chicken scratchy. Um, and I look at this and I'm like, wow, we were Mormons. And yeah, I, you were. It, it sucks. And I will hang on to this because it cracks me up at how ridiculous it is. So there you go. That's your film
0: pod, and you failed. Dance card. Wow. So hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't know that you had to go see a bishop to get a card to pass a test or whatever the well, fuck they Well, no, and that's did. what it is. Don't so to they say, question you uh, yeah, make to sure make sure it, you're worthy? Yes, and
1: make sure that you understand all the
0: rules and regulations uh-huh. and you promise to blah, blah blah. Make sure your pants go down to your knees or your skirt goes down to your knees mm-hmm, or whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. Something about knees. Mm -hmm. Well, that was special and enlightening. Did you enjoy it? Um, I really did. Good. Not really. Let's take (laughs) a break. Good idea. And when we come back, we'll get to the interview with Christy Johnson. Sweet. I can't wait. Okay. Be right back. And we're back. So we are excited to have as a special guest today... Christy Johnson, she has a documentary coming out. Actually, by the time this releases, it's already out. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen it, by the time this releases, you're in trouble with me. So,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the documentary is called No Crime in Sin. It is currently on Amazon Prime. Uh, Christy, my question is: Are you related to Shelly Johnson, oh, who God. is the Here co-host we of this podcast? <laughs> so,
1: okay, Christy, and you need to be aware of something about Mary. If she, so my name, my my maiden name is Johnson, and I'm sure there's been like 12 billion Johnsons since the beginning of time. And she'll meet someone with a last name Johnson, and she'll be like, "Oh my gosh, you might be related to my girlfriend."
0: <laughs> no, Mary, no. <laughs> okay, Pioneer stock. That's all I'm saying. Pioneer. Okay, stock.
1: fine. Are you are you Pioneer stock Johnson, Christy? Yes,
3: actually, I am on my dad's side. Um, our family goes all the way back to we we actually have a award list mm-hmm. where my great great whoever uh, Gerald Smith Johnson is in there with Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and a couple of their wives, and then they went to Missouri together, and then Brigham Young had my We'll call my great grandpa. How's that? Okay grandpa bring over some some pioneers. And so he actually was a pretty big guy in the movement was bringing people over here to Utah. And when he did um, settle here, he became a huge marshal and he worked with Brigham Young. So that's where my family line does come in through my dad's side is it's really big with the church and its beginnings.
1: I see. So my Johnson lines are Joel Hills Johnson and Benjamin F. Johnson. Is that your line?
3: Oh, it might be. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Mary, this might be the first <laughs> I'm so
1: excited.
0: <laughs> okay, cousin, let's do this. <laughs> we, need, we need to order up a DNA <laughs> test right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, regardless of whether you are actually related or not, we are excited to have Christy Johnson as a guest today on the podcast. Christy, tell us
3: about your documentary no crime and sin well it's the story of my siblings and i and how you know we we went on a journey to go meet up with our father First of all, let me back up a little bit. Um, I come from a a family of six kids, and my dad worked for the church education system, and he taught at BYU, and so he was with them for the church education system for about 23 years, and our family was very well-known in the church, in local areas. I don't want to act like we're somebody famous, but... We were pretty well respected, and so through the years, my dad started sexually abusing me and some of my siblings at a very young age. Jesus. And uh, my mother uh, first reported the sexual abuse uh, when I was six to the bishop in Ogden, Utah. And my dad was already teaching for the church education system at the time. And he told her to not report this to the police and that they were going to handle it. And that if it got out, it would make the church look bad. So it put a lot of pressure on my mom and, you know, the abuse continued. Um, My mom never went to the police. She never took us away. She never got us to safety. And I want to bring up that she, too, was a victim of my father. Oh, for sure. And so um, people are always making comments about that. And, you know, she did have a responsibility to protect us kids, but she was also an abuse victim as well on many levels for my dad. So she chose to stay, and the abuse continued, basically. And um, it went on until I was 18 years old. Ugh. And um, part of the way that I learned to deal with it as I got older in my older teens was to disassociate. And so I went on a full-time mission, and it was when I was on my mission that we heard during general conference when we were watching it by satellite, President Hinckley got up and, and gave a talk about child abuse and how something about if you're a victim of it or you're a perpetrator, you need to go see your bishop. Now, we had already reported to several bishops throughout the years of the abuse. I had even talked to uh, my bishop out in California when I was, I think, about 15 and let him know what was happening. We would always get like the same thing like, oh, well, we'll work with them," or, oh, I can't believe that or, you know, and we never thought at that point to ever go to the police. Of course not. And so when I was on my mission all this kind of came back to me during this talk, I had gone into the bathroom during that talk at General Conference, and I kind of had a little breakdown, and everything started coming back to me, and I was leaving for home in about a month, and so I never told anybody until I had gone home, and basically, I found out some further abuse was going on with my other siblings, (sighs) and uh, when we went to the church again with my mom this time, we all went together. And uh, the state president did not believe us and treated us really bad. Jeez. And at that point, I knew nothing was going to happen again. And so we went to the police ourselves. Good, good. And that was in 1986. So go forward several years. We turned my dad in. The police never picked my father up. Wow. And they never questioned him. He was never brought in. Oh, in fact, all the police reports have now gone away. Our reports of social services with the state have all gone away. Uh, Victims witness with the courts paid for our counseling. All those records are gone. There was this kind of big cover up that happened. So go forward years from now, and it's in 2015, and we're taking care of our mother who's now dying. And so four of the six siblings are taking care of my mom. And I was with her around the clock, and she opened up one day and said, you know, I need to tell you some stuff that's going to anger you, and I need you to promise that you won't get mad at me. And so I promised her, and then she started going into detail of all the abuse that my dad did to us. Wow. Like, especially when we were really young, and talked about the different houses and the different people that she personally reported it to. Hmm. which was a lot more than I was aware of. And at first I was very angry with her because sure. I thought, wow, you knew all this time. Uh, and yet you never got us help or got us out of the house. God. And I started yelling at her and hey. um, she said, hey, I thought you promised you wouldn't get mad. And <sighs> she was dying. Um, she only it ended up her having three more days left. Oof. And so it was during that Time period uh, where I was having a really hard time looking at her, knowing that she knew all this. God, yeah. um, I took some time and I called my other siblings that weren't there yet and I told them the truth about everything. And then I just prayed to Heavenly Father to let me look at my mother as a child of God at this point instead of as our mother. And we were able to take care of her, you know, as she died. And that turned out to be this extremely spiritual experience mm-hmm. of one humanity, but also. Me seeking answers as to like, what the hell, you know, um, how many people knew what was going on? And so that created this thing with my siblings where we decided we were going to go see my dad who lived in Lehigh, Utah, and we were going to ask him some questions because my mom had divorced him in 87, I believe, and he had remarried and married one of his students and they made a life for themselves in Utah. And he had had this great life and owned homes and was very happy, and uh, we were not. So four of us siblings called our father, we set up a time, and then my brother Kevin uh, passed away um, five months later after we buried our mother out of nowhere. Mm. Um, That was really hard because he was the one who wanted answers the most and so that left me or kathy kim and i we got in touch with um restore humanity in utah who asked us if we would be willing to talk to some filmmakers and um so we all talked about it and we ended up coming to utah with our dad's permission to meet with him and he also agreed that we could have cameras rolling we didn't want to be secretive we were going to meet with him either way but he agreed for us to have cameras, and that's how the story begins Wow! With the film. That
0: is an amazing story, and I'm so sorry for what you and your sisters and your family had to go through. I can't even begin to understand the pain and anger and feelings of loss that you and your family have gone through over this, this entire thing. What... So many thoughts and questions running through my head right now. Why does the church allow for this cover up? I mean, I know that this is not an isolated case, and I'm so inspired and I'm really glad that the story is getting out there for everyone to witness this and to understand what is happening. This sort of thing is continuing. Why does the church protect the perpetrator?
3: Well, I believe that their main reason is because of liability and because they don't want the church to look bad
0: oh, yeah. which
3: doesn't make any sense because like you said there's pedophiles and these you know these people that abuse children in all walks of life in all sure. religions in organizations and what I'm trying to understand is why are we covering it up? Because it's being covered up in the Catholic Church, Baptist, everybody's covering it up. And that's the thing, because it's not a reflection of the religion, right? Because the Mormons don't teach abused children. So it's not like it's part of their doctrine. But what is really weird is across all these... You know, lines is that everybody's covering it up. Mm-hmm. And i the only thing I can think of at this point is in my research is that they don't want the church to look bad, but the bottom line is money. Always. They don't want to pay out or to say that they had any prior knowledge of these guys that were hurting children. And they don't want to to pay for it or admit that there's a problem, which makes them look worse. Mm -hmm. Because if the church would just step forward, like I asked in my news conference Mm -hmm. in June 28th, 2018, I, along with our attorney, Craig Vernon, and my brother, Kim, I pled with President Nelson as the new prophet. And I said to him, please, like, if if anybody is a victim of sexual abuse— or if you know of sexual abuse that is happening, please tell your members from your pulpit, from general conference, please tell them to go directly to the police and let the Mormon church be the church as the example to the world that they're not going to cover it up, like to let predators know, like you're not going to find safe harbor here. Our children are our priority. It should be. And you know, you can help people that have these kind of problems that are in treatments, and bishops and all these guys can visit them and love them and, and do whatever they need, but they need to go through the criminal justice system. And the church needs to step out of the way and not take it on as you know, they're trying to deal with just the sin. Well, that's fine. Deal with the sin of it, but also get out of the way so that the police can come in and do their job. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Protect the kids. Because if if you're looking at this guy, let's say a guy comes in or a young lady and reports that her dad is raping her, right? And you're best friends with this guy, right? Your kids play ball together. It's gonna be hard for you as a bishop to believe it, right? So you need to just automatically, if that's told to you, call the police and yeah. step out of that position, so that you're not taking on law enforcement. It's not your, it's not your job, yeah. to, to cover up crime, whether you think that person is being set up or they're they're guilty. It's the church needs to step out of that arena. It's not theirs to deal with.
0: Yeah, I completely agree, and you're right. I think when bishops uh, potentially are your friends then it's going to be challenging for them to be uh, impartial in that situation. And we've seen what happens. And and I watched the documentary and I saw that your father over a period of time was absolved within the church.
3: Yeah, he actually was, you know, because when we turned him into the police, the church was very angry uh, with my siblings and I. God. And said, look, this is a church matter. Why did you go to the police? And of course, you know in how I answered that. <laughs> and I was pretty upset, but they ended up, because it was getting out there, they were forced to hold a trial, a church trial. Hmm. And so, um, they did excommunicate my dad I think it was like for a year and then for him to get rebaptized they hold another court with you know these 12 high council members and I was pulled aside years later by a bishop and he said, you know what Christy normally we don't talk about this he said, but I was at that trial for your dad to get rebaptized into the church and he said, when your dad was up there and we said why did you molest your kids and when your dad said, you know because, my wife was not meeting my sexual needs. Ugh, God. So I had to turn to my children to get those needs met. Ugh. And I'm expecting that bishop guy to be like, can you believe your dad? What a jerk, yeah. right? And instead he goes, Christy, it all made sense.
0: Uh-uh. Why
3: he, had, like he touched you kids.
0: I'm sick to and my stomach. And he goes,
3: there wasn't a dry eye in that room. We could tell he felt bad and had repented. Mm. So we re-baptized him. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Mm-mm. That was such an eye opener for me because that really plays to the part where these are such untrained men. Yep. Yeah. They do not know what they're doing. Nope. Anybody that would let that be an excuse for child sexual rape for over a decades Mm. that your wife couldn't fulfill your needs so you Mm -hmm. had to turn to your children i had a counselor ask my dad one time i met with him once in counseling and she said if it was all about sex you're a professor guy you know you're a teacher you're a good-looking man why didn't you just go have an affair with one of your students yeah like a college-age person and he goes oh i could never do that because that's against the ten commandments Okay, if I am short on cash
0: and can't pay my rent, let's say, I don't go hold up a convenience store because I know it's against the law. And it's not right. Personally, that wouldn't feel good because I am now making it the cashier's problem to pay that back or I've shorted the store, which is not the right thing to do. There is a moral and ethical principle that doesn't have to be taught in church for people to understand what's right or what's wrong. And so for your father, and I know it's personal because it's a family member, for your father to think it is a better crime to abuse and rape my own children than to have an extramarital affair, I, I don't understand that. And I also don't understand why the church members and the bishop can feel sorry for him and there's not a dry eye in the place on his behalf. I don't understand it. I wish they would put laws in place that
1: if you're a member of clergy and someone reports a crime, you turn them in, period. But they have this shelter of, I don't know, whatever the thing is called where they can keep it uh, secret. The clergy exemption. Thank you. Clergy exemption. But again, they... (laughs) the fact that they would side with him like oh yeah well you know he didn't get enough from his wife so he needed to go we we, we understand yeah like that it's called self control take that to a judge a judge would be like what the crap is wrong with you people he probably throw all of them in prison this is just baffling that men that are in charge in the mormon church with no training get to handle situations like this and decide you know who gets found out who gets moved to a different ward they have no training, and they're not inspired. And this this takes me back to when you were uh, we were trying to question, like, why do they do this in the Mormon church? And not just the Mormon church. Uh, you know, most churches have this issue. I think a lot of the problem is that, especially within the Mormon church, when it's preached that these men in authority above you, they have the priesthood, so they have this this conduit to God. You know, they're being inspired. They're good men. They wouldn't be called to be a bishop if they weren't a good man. They wouldn't be called to be a stake president. You know, there's this discernment that happens that only good men rise up the ranks. And so if it gets out that these good men who are not good men that rise up the ranks that that actually no one had the discernment to say, oh, this dude's a pedophile. We probably should not make him bishop. Like, they don't want that to get out. That this whole mantle of the priesthood that supposedly gives them the discernment, it's it's bullshit, and no it comes one's down helping from anyone. On no one's helping yeah. anyone. Yeah, it's, and so I think the church would be so much better off to be like, you know what, we mess up all the time. We are actually not inspired half the time. We're, we're all just, sinners. Yeah, we're just trying to fill spots, and we got that one wrong. And dude needs to go to jail, and we will not stand for this. But they just won't. There, it's just this pride of we are the one true church. We are the only ones with the priesthood. Right.
3: Fury. Well, the thing is, they take their own personal feelings. And here's the thing, like you had mentioned that my dad was completely absolved and he was in 2007. See, I kept in touch with my father for one reason, because I wanted to keep an eye on him. And I remember calling him one time, and I could hear kids in the background, and I said, Dad, are those children in your house? Now, Uh -uh. keep in mind, when they rebaptized my dad, they put an annotation on his church record, which means that they showed that he was a danger to children. So their promise to everyone is that if there's this annotation, he'll never be able to be around kids. He'll never work with children. You know, he'll never be allowed to be alone with kids, that kind of a thing. The church actually takes that on. So that's interesting in and of itself. So he's got this annotation. He moves to Utah. I call him. I hear these kids in the background. I said, Dad, are those kids? And he said, yeah. Um, my wife is a primary teacher in the ward, and she brings her kids over, her primary kids over, and we have little parties for him here Ooh, at disgusting. the house. God. Now, even with my dad's annotation, they've got him back on the high council in Lehi." okay, mm-hmm. all during this oh, time period. So I'm hearing these children, and my dad's telling me that his wife, as a primary teacher, while he still got the annotation, is having these parties at his house. So I call his state president, and I said, hey, this is Christy Johnson. My dad's one of your high council members. Are you aware that he molested his children? He said, yeah, of course. And I said, <laughs> okay, um, are you aware That as we speak, there are primary children in his home with him and his wife. And he said, yes, I'm one of his neighbors. He goes, Christy, I believe in your dad's repentance. And I said, okay, why do you believe he repented? Why do you believe he's totally fine? And he goes, Christy, because he reads the scriptures every day and he (laughs) goes to the temple like once a week.
0: And I said, president,
3: he did that for the 12 years. He was sexually assaulting me. And I said, so that's what you're looking at? And I said, please don't let him have these kids over. And he's like, well, I would be more worried about, you know, you needing help and counseling. And it sounds like you're a nice person. I hope you're still active in the church. And so he didn't want to talk any further about it. But that was all allowed to go on, even with them knowing. So in 2007, we found out that the church removed that annotation from my dad's church record. We don't know why they did that. He was already in high calling, so that didn't stop him from getting callings. So my fear was, what if he re-offended? Yeah. What if one of those primary kids got hurt? If the church has a knowledge that he's a pedophile and it's on their records and they know that and they're having church little parties with kids, then that makes the church liable. Mm-hmm. Interesting. If there's another victim that came forward, that's why I think they removed the annotation from his record. That's just my personal belief.
1: Things say they didn't
0: know. Wow. Well, you know, it'll be interesting to see with this documentary out if anyone reaches out to you with that complaint, you know, or like you know, me too. That that'll be interesting to find out. It's heartbreaking to think that the church uh, not just allows
3: it but can condones it.
0: it. It's heartbreaking. It is.
3: It really is. And I was down at you know the state capitol having a private meeting the other day because I wanted to find out if this this leader, what his feelings were about the mandatory reporting law in Utah, but the clergy exception, because, you know, as you know, Angela Romero, who I love has put forward a bill, is working on it to remove the clergy exception, hmm. um, which would mean that anybody, even a perpetrator that goes in to the bishop and confesses to, you know, let's say rape of a child, the bishop immediately has to report that to law enforcement. Right. Oh, good. But I asked this gentleman, who obviously is a member of the church, I asked him, like, how do you, how do you feel about removing that? And he goes, Christy, you're talking like years of, you know, it's always been this way. You know, there's that client, that clergy privilege that we have to honor because what if
0: that perpetrator,
3: just what if he wants to repent? Like we can't give him that opportunity. And I said, that's your first concern?
1: Dude can repent from behind a jail cell.
3: Exactly, because it doesn't do them any good either in the repentance process if they're not being processed through the criminal justice system. If you allow them to just confess it and move forward, they don't get the help that they need either. You're doing a disservice to them as well if you really believe in what repentance is all about.
1: For sure. That's true. I also, you know, because I watched the documentary, and one thing that struck me, uh, and I'm not, I don't want to you know, throw spoilers out there for everyone who's going to download, but when your father started getting emotional and tearing up and telling you how hard it was for him that he had to pray every single day and he was begging, like how hard it was for him to repent. And to me, that is the first sign that he isn't repentant he's still worried about how he feels about everything. And that just made me furious to see him almost get on your case, like it was kind of your fault that he had to repent for a year,
3: you know? Yeah, and you could tell even further along as the movie went along, what he did the day after we left to show someone that kind of love and mercy and then have them turn around and do that mm. was proof enough that that we had wasted our time. I mean, not mm. wasted our time, but it was an eye-opener to see that when you are coddled like that from an organization, he really thought being excommunicated was the worst thing in the world. And the worst thing in the world should have been him serving time in prison, Mm -hmm. because that would have been a wake-up call to him. But He'll never, because of the statute of limitations, that's never going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that
0: struck me was, is I think the way the church conditions women to coddle men as well, because uh, you played a snippet of a, converse, a phone conversation you had with your dad. And I think that was when he was first telling you, gosh, it's been so hard on me. And, and then I felt in your tone that you were very comforting and nurturing to him on that phone call.
3: Yeah, I caught that as well. I, I remember I was always trying to get information from him, so I tried to be kind to not, you know. I I, I still do have a weird kind of love, mm-hmm. you know. It's weird, you know, being a victim, but you know, it's your parent, and I did not in a weird way, but just as a human being, I love him. It's complicated, but it's weird to try to work that out in your head. And so when I did hear that conversation. I remember thinking, God, I'm so kind. It's you're right. It, it was almost like feeling like bad for him in a weird way. And I remember being very physically ill after I'd get off the phone call yeah. um, at different times with him, um, thinking like, Ugh, "That did not feel good." Yeah. But yeah, there was a part of me that was always trying to get information and be as kind as I possibly could.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like, and this is a personal question and you don't have to answer it, but do you feel like you felt personally more anger towards your mother for hiding the information or towards your dad for what he actually did to you?
3: I think, to be honest, it was my mom. I I think because she was the safe adult uh, or the adult that wasn't doing that kind of abuse, Because I think no matter what you're doing or what you're going through as a parent, your first responsibility is to your child at all costs, even to your own life. Mm -hmm. And why we were not the priority to her, even though she was a victim, I don't know. And I think that that's why I had more anger towards my mother. And I, I still am trying to deal with that. And I'm still dealing with the anger of my dad because I did show him so much mercy. And I had gone through years of therapy to try to work through my own issues because you'll have them the rest of your life. To think you can go through something like this and be unscathed is ridiculous. But there is hope and you can take your power back and go on, which is the message here. But. But yeah, I, I think I will. I still have a lot of anger to deal with with my dad. But yeah, long answer to that was, I think my mother. Mm-hmm. I have more anger towards her.
0: Yeah, I I can see why, but I also personally, and I was not personally raised in the Mormon Church. Shelley was. I am an outsider looking in, and you know, we we podcast about it. But I feel sorry for women raised in Mormonism. I think that women are taught to possibly not have much of a voice, not have much of an opinion, and not to be taken seriously. And I think that this is a burden that women carry, and they put themselves dead last.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And if you notice the lady in the film, you're not able to see her, her facial expression when my dad's talking to her about what he's done. But her whole facial expression, there's literally no shock at all. Mm. And her first thing out of her mouth was, Well, who's here for you? Wow. And it's like, Man, if my neighbor came and told me that, that wouldn't be my first thing, is Mm -hmm. like, Oh, what can I do for you? Are you okay? You know, because she went home for a few minutes and came back. And what you don't see in the film is she yelled. At my brother and what? sister and I, because she goes, you know, your dad really looked forward to this visit, oh and how God. dare you make him cry? And I, we all stood there looking at her like, what the hell?
0: Yeah, it's like, it feels like the Mormon church is breeding a bunch of Stepford wives.
3: Perfect. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah I was definitely curious about who that woman was. I don't know what kind of information you can give out, but this is like a neighbor. Are they in the same ward? Are they... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, a woman in the church is taught that a man, well, all men outrank you, but a a high councilman, that is a trusted person. That person is close to God. And so I feel like she's just completely bamboozled by him because of his rank in the church to the point that he would defend him and be upset at you, the victim, because you, you, what, you ruined his day because you asked questions about the abuse? It's shocking, but it's not. It's very disturbing to me. And I'm so glad that you are shedding light on what goes on.
3: Well, thank you very much. And and I am too, because you know, this this actually helps me work through some of these things because it's important. When we decide to go public, I mean you're living your whole life all out there. Yeah. But if we can help one person, mm, mm-hmm. just even one, it's worth all of it. And getting back to that lady who's in the film, she does take part in that next day. That you see in the film where we find out that my dad truly isn't repentant Um, with the steps that take place the next day. She's actually involved in that. Right. So that tells you even more about who she is. Yeah. And again,
1: not wanting to spoil, but I was just shocked that she would go along with it, you know?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: it's not just men in the Mormon church who are covering up abuse. Women are going along with it, too. Well, the women are covering for the men because the men are above them. And I I just see this over and over.
1: You know, my mom... I didn't have near the kind of abuse that you did. I don't mean to compare myself at all, but there was abuse in my home as well. And my mom didn't want to do anything about it because it would make the family look bad. And my dad was in the state presidency. And, you know, no one wanted anyone to think that the Johnsons had anything going on. It was this we have to look good. And my mom took part in that. And I grew up my whole life, probably like you feeling like no one's standing up for me. My mom's not standing up for me. Who's going to stand up for me? And, you know, it just is this mentality of you defer to the man, you defer to the man, and the and the men call the shots. And there's so much power in being a woman. Women need to tap into that and realize, I don't need to answer to a man. I don't need, and I'm not a man hater, by the way, neither is Mary. We love men, especially gay men. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's a long story about that. It's pretty <laughs> freaking hilarious, by the way. Um you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell that story because it's funny. Oh, that how gay men love you? No. So okay, this is a little well yes, they do, but here's a here's a side story for you, Christy. So we met a listener of our podcast through another listener, and she's a, a lesbian woman. And she that's redundant. Sorry, term. I know she is a lesbian.
0: <laughs> you don't need the woman part when God you say it, the lesbian part. Okay, she's a she's
1: a lesbian. <laughs> I said she lesbian and woman, just so we're clear, female. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, and she does karaoke at this bar. And I was thinking, oh, it'd be fun to go do karaoke. And so we were messaging each other over Facebook. And she said, yeah, it's called Dyke Bar. And it's spelled D-I-K Bar. So because she's a woman, I'm like, oh, Dyke Bar. It must be like a lesbian bar. Well, let's go do lesbian karaoke. So next week, Mary and I get all excited. We go there. We walk up and it's all gay men like the whole place is gay men and we're all what's going on so we're we the ladies yeah we're the ladies we just ignore it we we meet uh, the listener she's happy to meet us we hang out and we do a few karaoke songs and then about an hour and a half in another guy comes and takes the microphone and he's another mc and he goes oh you know we would just like to thank everyone for coming out to Dick Bar tonight <laughs> like <laughs> oh, I'm like, oh my gosh, Mary, it's Dick. It's Dick Bars, not Dyke. Wouldn't well, this make sense now? <laughs> that's really funny. I like that. Yeah. Anyway, that was a big sidetrack. I just, you know. It's
3: good to laugh.
1: That's definitely um, one thing that we've discovered with our podcast. Um, it began as me kind of telling my story of growing up in the church and the abuse that I suffered and, and uh, leaving the church and coming out of the closet and kind of getting it off my chest. But I find that when I complain about things, I I make it funny for some reason. So I just started poking fun at things. (laughs) And then we just started having all these people write in with their stories. And so many people saying, oh my gosh, We needed this podcast in this ex-Mormon space because you laugh. And sometimes it just feels so much better. Not that you can't cry. I cry through the trauma too. But sometimes just to laugh in the middle of it just was very, very healing. So,
3: you know, that's so important. And I I started doing stand-up comedy. That's right. Yeah, I've gone to open mics and I've been to a few, you know, I did one last year and then I did a bunch here and I've been to Vegas and I'm going to be out in L.A. But I started getting pretty good at it, and I just started telling stories like you said you do, and it sounds like, you know, it becomes this funny story. And so I just start sharing, because, you know, there were funny stories growing up with siblings when you have Mm -hmm. a lot of them, and so I just took stories from that, and then I'm telling it to bigger crowds now and it feels good and it's very therapeutic for me well, because good. life can get dark and heavy and there's yeah, those sure. horrible moments, but you can also laugh and it's okay to laugh. Yeah, yeah
1: you're right. It, just because you're in a really dark time, it doesn't negate your bad feelings, your hurt feelings, by laughing. It doesn't mean that you're over it. It doesn't mean that, oh, this is no big deal. It's just giving some relief. And by the way, if you want on your next stand-up comedy night, if you want to tell our story about the dick bar, by all
0: means... <laughs> you just
1: pretend it was really? you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure. I just, I just, just let me know how it goes. <laughs> okay, I will.
0: Don't even you, encourage you. us because <laughs> we <laughs> can't stop. We can't stop. <laughs> we can't. We can't. <laughs> yep, and you too can start a podcast. So let's, um, let's get back to the documentary. What is it that you want people to take away from the experience of watching the documentary?
3: Um, I think awareness, you know, that it happens, you know, it can happen in the Mormon church as well, because sometimes people think it's just the Catholics or it's just somebody else. So that was, you know, awareness and that you have to find a way to deal with it. And you need, you need to get therapy and you need, if you have an opportunity, everybody's different. For us, we wanted to meet across from our father. We needed answers.
1: Wow. So
3: everybody needs to find what they need to do so mm-hmm. that they can then move forward in life. I want people to know that it doesn't have to completely envelop your entire life. Like right. it's part of your life, it's always going to be part of it, but you got to find a way to get justice for yourself. And we were very blessed to have like the laws change when they did so that I could sue my dad and you know, be able to um, force him to go into a law firm and get an attorney and to admit to some things. So that was huge for me. And so people need to know that you can find justice. Um, it may look different for everyone, but that you can also move forward in life and find out what you want to do. Cause a lot of times when you're growing up and you're a victim for, especially for years and years and years, you don't even know that you're in survival mode. And when you start realizing that you can actually have a life for yourself and you have to realize, wait, what do I like? What's my favorite color? What do I like to do? Take advantage of whatever life you have left and make something of it. And that's kind of what the message is.
1: That's beautiful. I I agree completely. Uh, That was something that I had to do after I left the church, got divorced, came out of the closet. I was Mormon for so long and doing the housewife thing for so long, feeling that that was what God wanted me to do that I had to start over. Like, well, I don't know. What do I like? I don't have a degree. What do I want for a career? I don't know. And it was very overwhelming at times, but eventually got to the point where I could say, this is exciting. What do I want? And so I think that's what you're saying as far as being a victim. It can be overwhelming having to deal with that, that you've you've been through your entire life, but also it's an excitement of, what do I want going forward? I get to pick. What am I about? I'm not in survival mode anymore. I'm myself. I'm living for me. What did you decide?
3: Well, for me in my life, I decided I wanted to be a voice for um, victims and survivors. And I wanted—I had always wanted to go to law school. And I remember telling my dad, you know, since you're in the church education system, I can go to BYU law school and get a big, huge discount. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, you should... To hair and, and no insult to anybody oh, who does Jesus. hair, but he just didn't want me to go into law, which is obviously why. So what I wanted to do is I started contacting our legislators and lawmakers and people that write laws. And good for you. So now I'm involved. In sitting down with people and I'm willing to go to hearings and I'm working with, you know, uh, I'm in touch with Senator Hill out of California, who's also trying to get the clergy exemption removed from their mandatory reporting law. So I've offered up my story. I, I sit down with these lawmakers and I give them some really good information. So that's the path that I'm taking along with comedy. Just trying to help people change their life and change the laws. I may not ever be a judge or a lawyer, but gosh dang, I'm doing something else. That sounded funny. I said, gosh dang. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can take the girl out of the Mormon church, but you can't take the Mormon church out of the girl <laughs> I remember growing up, my dad would be out working on the
1: car and, you know, banging his hands up
3: Rumpelstiltskin, dad nabbit oh
1: Dad's out there swearing again
3: yeah. yeah, I can't believe I said gosh dang, because I don't talk like
0: that at all yeah, You go ahead and put that in your stand up as well <laughs> 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 Hilarious. I love it. Well, your story, it was so inspiring. I can't recommend the documentary highly enough. It's called No Crime and Sin. It's on Amazon Prime. Please go watch it. Uh stream it, rent it, buy it. How, however you can consume that story, go mm-hmm. see it. Tell as your soon tell as you your can. friends. I love that
1: we did this interview, Christy, because you gave a lot more insight to things that are not in the documentary just for time's sake, you know. And so this is a great intro to the documentary. So everyone who's listening right now, as soon as we say steer clear of cults because they're no joke, then you need to get on Amazon <laughs> and do this thing. And if my cousin Christy Johnson is ever in your area doing stand-up, you better go hear her. And I want to hear about Dick Bar. She's <laughs> brave enough to tell the Dick Bar story. <laughs>
0: Uh, that's hilarious.
3: It's been so great. You guys are wonderful. I, I listen to your show, but I just, I'm a fan anyway, but this has been so nice to be able to talk about this. And I did give information that I've, you know, I've done different interviews, but there are details that I don't know if I've ever given before. So mm-hmm. it is important that people have that information. I'm glad that we had this conversation thank you for having me on your show absolutely oh, gosh, absolutely and we look
1: forward to seeing you in real life one of these days yeah, yeah. i'll meet
0: up
3: with you october 5th i'd love that Yay, Okay. and then right.
0: i will be there next um june pride whenever that is yeah we'll be doing pride in utah every year because
1: it's amazing yeah Whoa. i heard
3: it is out here yes
0: well christy thank you so much this has been fantastic thank you
1: there's a lot of feeling in, in this documentary. It's not just like a boring World War II kind of thing. It's, it's not, not that, there's that World War II documentaries are boring. <laughs> I'm sure I just offended like 13 people, and I'm sorry. <laughs> um. <laughs> But this really is one of those documentaries where, like, I, I had every range of feelings. I was sad for everyone. I was angry. There were even some moments where I felt for your for your father. I just kind of hurt for him. And then I was angry again. And then that neighbor came on the scene and, you know, your family and your sister and It was something that I really just had to sit and think in for a while afterwards. And I, and I love that. I love things that make me feel and make me think. So thank you. It's a fantastic job.
3: Thank you. They did a really good job and I'm really grateful for them. You know, their first film, uh, Quiet Heroes won a daytime Emmy a couple months back. And uh, this group of people here at Vivani are unbelievably, incredibly talented. That's awesome.
0: All right. This has been wonderful. Thanks so much, Christy. We'll talk to you again another time.
1: Yeah. Take care, Christy. Thank you.
0: Bye-bye. So Shelley, that was amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. wow. Well, this is one I'm going to
1: want to listen to a couple times over. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
0: uh, we might need to rewatch that documentary. I mean, there's just so much to it. You yeah. could, you could see just in the mannerisms and her tone towards her father that she is compassionate towards absolutely him. Yeah, what a complicated relationship. Yeah. It's just so layered. There's just so much to it. I mm-hmm. can't recommend strongly enough that everyone go watch this documentary. Right. And, and just so you
1: know, people who are, they
0: trigger a lot with this kind of thing. There's not
1: um, conversations in this documentary about specifics. So you don't need to worry right. about that. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's just really eye-opening and mm-hmm. great for people to be aware of. Yeah. So please watch it. Once again, it's called No Crime and Sin. It's currently streaming on Amazon Prime Mm -hmm. Video. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess that's going to wrap it up for this week. That's it. Yeah. Special thanks to our guest, Christy Johnson, Mm -hmm. for sharing and being vulnerable and putting herself out there. I mean, that's... That's a risky position to be in, and she is super brave. She sure
1: is, and that's how you help others, and that's how you get things changed yep. by risking vulnerability.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. for sure. If you're putting putting yourself out there, mm-hmm. that's how you do it. So thank you again to Christy and for everybody listening. Appreciate that. Until next time, remember, steer clear of cults, mm-hmm. because they, Shelley, are no
1: joke. joke. No joke at all. Dealing. <laughs> mm-hmm. later. Bye-bye.